Hi, and welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. And today we're joined by Jared, um, one of the Rugby Bits chaps who hasn't really been joining us a lot lately, but did enjoy a trip to London recently. So um, he's homebound for a while now, trying to recoup after the financial strains of London, I hear. Um, pretty badass. My my brother's just come back from London. Yeah, and that's said a crazy. How are you doing? Yeah, it's... It- I, I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, it, it really hurts the pockets when you go off to London, <laughs> eh? especially for us, especially for us beer drinkers. Like whenever you go on holiday, like it's standard that the only thing that you drink is beer. Like every now and then when it's like really necessary, you have a you have a glass of water or some sort of water. But in London, the prices of beers is just astronomical. And yeah, you still pay it anyway, but it hurts, man. Because you want to have a beer. I'm I'm scared. I'm scared for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. We'll also be joined a little bit later by Tyler, but we have a guest and a and a rugby bits uh, dirt tracker and and keen follower, and we're always interacting. Um, Dylan, Jack, Dylan, how are you, mate? How was how was your weekend? It's uh, it was a a bit of a busy one on the sporting front. Yeah, yeah, everything's just starting to flow. How's it guys? Yeah, everything's just starting to flow into each other. You go from covering schools festivals to sevens to back to schools festivals and stormers then. Champs Cup, it's just all over the place at the moment, but it's good fun. It's good fun. I, I bet, I bet. And I tell you, talking about school festivals, um, so which ones were you covering? Um, I was a little bit out of the school festivals. I was always um, focusing on the Easter ones, which are obviously coming up, but which school festivals, what, what, anything you want to chat about from this weekend? Well, I mean, it was just the um, North-South Festival, that, or North-South Tournament, as they call it, the Noord-Seit Durnoy. Excuse my Afrikaans. Yeah. <laughs> that goes on every year. Um, obviously, Nailed some it. interesting results there. Um, got Durbanville playing some good day. They're playing some very good rugby um, early in the season before the festival. I think they beat Cowboys High. They've run some of the Power Giants very close. Those northern suburb schools from the Cape, both Stillenberg and Durbanville, they look like they're going to have some two very good seasons, which I'm quite excited to see how they go this year. Very interesting that they're essentially uh, Derby neighbors. I mean, they're both in the same suburbs. So um, very, uh, I I know I did a little bit of work with Stellenberg about five, six, seven years ago, and they were very clear about how they wanted to to push their rugby and where they wanted to be positioned in uh, in the rugby landscape and the school side of things in South Africa. And uh, it seems like they're 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 really they're really up there because Durbanville. It almost seemed like Durbanville, the community as a whole, were just had just had enough of all their rugby talent going to Paul, <laughs> so they decided to uplift both the schools and make sure that uh, all 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 the talented rugby players stayed there. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see, and it's good to see these players coming through there as well and going on to do big things. I mean, they've just had their obviously had their latest Blitzbock or Ricardo Duarte going on and doing amazing things at the moment. So it's awesome to see these players actually coming through and starting to impact the senior level as well. Nice, nice. And just quickly, a brief little look ahead to the Easter Easter tournaments that are coming up. Any anyone besides Durbanville and Stellenberg you want to you want to mention? Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Kersney, um Easter Festival. That should be a good one because for the first time they've got a hot, excuse me, Hartbury College from Gloucestershire in England, and that'll be the first time oh, they're yeah. taking part in that tournament. And they're a very, they're a top school, one of England's top schools. So it'll be very interesting to see how they um, compare to some of the teams that are going to be in 
action in that in that festival. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. Quite familiar with uh, Hartbury College following um, following the women's uh, premier XVs uh, in in the UK and a couple of uh, couple yeah. of the age group stuff in the lower leagues. So quite familiar with them. Yeah. But that's awesome. That should be should be quite cool. Okay, without further ado, we're going to jump straight into the this week's first phase. We did uh, we popped it up a little bit late, but no better no better one to get on than something that's the, a hot topic at the moment, and that's um, what to do in the case of a draw. Um, this weekend, well, last season, Munster lost out to Toulouse um, in a in a kickoff um, after a draw and extra time and all that sort of jazz, and many people are upset by it. And then this weekend, um, after extra time, Exeter and Montpellier, 14-man Montpellier, drew the game. And because Exeter scored more tries on the day, they went through. So everyone's been freaking out a little bit about it. So we uh, popped it up on first phase and it was a great topic. One of the first responses we got from John Constantine was, was, was quite simply, don't draw the game, which is, to be fair, not, not the easiest thing to do in rugby. So it's a great shot. But we got a couple of great ones. AP Cronier, Pistols at Dawn. Um, that was quite funny. There's a lot of great banter out there. The, one of the better ones is uh, a front row dance-off. Um, Jared, do you, you perhaps know anyone that will be a dead certain winner when it comes to a dance-off in the front rows? Oh, my money is always on France Malherbe. Always on France Malherbe. So <laughs> I, I, I think he'll be right up there. I don't think he's a dancer. I think he could probably uh, like, dance well with a partner. Soki is still dancing. Exactly. <laughs> is he? Is that okay? Fair enough. Fair enough. He's gonna win. He's gonna win. Surf his way to victory. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That um, was. The, I'd. I'd also put uh, Joe Dweber and uh, Trevor Nikani up there. They both uh, have shown some slick moves um, off the pitch. I'm just saying. I, I think it was Dweber. I think it was um, after the Lions series. He had a. Gr- there was a great clip of him. Um, that I'm sure I put in my one of my gift drops of him him dancing after the third test. So I think they're right up there. Perfect. Um, Rian Lowe, uh, long time long time participant of the show and uh, also a great banter on social. Quite a great one. He his reply was the best sledge that you hear over the ref mic, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> it was followed followed very swiftly by by oh I can't remember who got it. Um, uh, it was Tina Stoffba. He His reply very swiftly was, but Montoya wasn't playing, so it doesn't count, which is also a great shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Peter Omani's game to lose, though, if we be fair. <laughs> yeah, listen, and, and with Nigel Owens not being around, at least the ref's not going to take it, so that's okay. Um, <laughs> another great one was 7v7 and first try wins. Um, where else are we going? Um, yeah, well, I'm going to scroll through some more. Jared, how would you settle things? Let's have a bit of banter here, and then you can also be serious if you want. Yeah, I, I, I've got no serious ones because I quite like the idea of uh, a kicking competition. I don't like the idea that they won it off of uh, I mean, who had the most tries. Like For me, it's more fitting to go who got the most uh, penalty uh, scrums from penalties. Like That's much better for me. <laughs> so... Yeah, but my first suggestion would it's stick a lottery, with the front though. row. It's, it's a lottery. Scrum well, penalties yeah, are often, the often a lottery. If, if it's the same referee that <laughs> referee that game, then it's definitely a lottery. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, uh, there just goes the South African moaning about the referee again. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, I would say maybe we, we yeah, we, we, we set up the two packs and we have to bring on the starting front row from the match. They come on and you pack down in the middle of the, the pitch and you have two minutes. And it's a two-minute scrum and whoever, like you do it straight on the middle of the pitch and whoever uh, proceeds further into the opposition's half then wins the match. I think that's a great one. So basically a, a rugby version of tug of war. So it's a push of war yes. to win it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is it a six man? Is it a six man scrum? So you've got the two front rows on. No, 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 no. Full, full pack, full pack from both sides. 16 man scrum. With the starting front row. Okay. Yeah. The okay, starting front rows. I don't know. I, I, I just feel it would be better if it's the starting front rows because they generally go deeper and then they've also had some time to rest and it makes it more of a, like a event. And you can maybe, like we can say, okay, you've got two super subs that you can bring on. So like for the box, we'd like line up with uh, all our locks packing down on the side of the scrum as well. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how I see it. And then the second one I would be like, you take the back threes or you choose three players out of each team. And you do a one-on-one stepping like competition one on uh, in the twenty-two. So you got the twenty-two to go and try and score a try. So like the box would have Kurtley, Orenser, and if England were stupid enough, they would put Owen Farrell there to try and tackle him or Marcus Smith. And stepping competition, whoever gets the most out of their threes, like a penalty shootout. And then if it if it's still tied off the three, you know where it goes. Goes deeper on and. We could have a stepping competition between Joe Marler and Franz Mahoba right at the end. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. We should be starting <laughs> with them. We don't <laughs> want to have to wait for chance a chance. So essentially what we've we've basically figured out the gist of it is that everyone wants to see the front rows figure out who wins the game. That seems to be the fairest yes. way. Um Dylan, are you gonna you're gonna weigh in on this? I'll jump in on that. Um if you're talking about front rows um, deciding the game, we do a little bit of a role reversal here. Um, and we say we take the uh, three, uh, three front rows, the starters and the um, replacements, and we have a kicking competition. So whichever <coughs> prop mm. or hooker gets, their, gets the penalty <laughs> over the poles, which is it's probably only going to be one penalty to decide it, then um, that team wins. Or we go, or, or we do another role reversal. We take the backs and we do a scrumming competition between the backs. <laughs> or yeah, or clearing know, I, out I, at I, the ruck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I love about the idea of the props uh, kicking is that we can, like, we can build on this one now. Like, I, I love your Ooh. idea, but we can add a few more layers and, and we turn it into like a full on kicking competition where, the, uh, where you have to kick to touch and you have to slot a drop goal and you have to do exactly. a goal line dropout. And we've got mm-hmm. like four tasks or four challenges that each prop has to do and they get a point if they get it right or the, whoever gets the most meters gets that many points for this meters. And I, I, I love that idea. And <laughs> I, I think so, uh, and, we've got a problem when Kian Healy is doing this one. Though. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah, a cheat code. Yeah, and as well. <laughs> <laughs> if um if we weren't uh, if we weren't worried about how technical the laws are in rugby already um just hope that uh, world rugby aren't listening to our um our solution to the <clears throat> drawing of games problem because that would uh that would freak out 
everybody trying to work it out. It would be literally, uh, we'd need uh, Einstein and his followers to help us with the mathematical side of things. So, right, after that, listen, uh, follow us on, on, on the social media channels, but we post our first phase on Twitter. Please jump in and, and reply and let us have your thoughts on it. Uh, we look forward to seeing uh, seeing some more replies. It's always a good bit of fun. But we're going to jump straight back in straight into Europe at the moment. Um, we're going to focus on the South African sides for 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 starters. But let's kick the game the 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 weekend off with the first South African game, and the Sharks hosted Munster in Durban. The Sharks coming off a diabolical game last week in the URC. And were at home with the Springboks and turned it on and beat Munster 50-35. Now, Munster had a like frankly a shitty start to the season. They they under a new coaching system and setup and just struggled to get going. Um they managed to pull their season back a little bit. There was a little bit of hope uh, from the Munster uh players and fans, but then they go and unravel in Durban. Dylan, what what happened? How how what did they improve? Was it the Sharks and the Springboks and the team not playing together, being a bit rusty, or what happened? Well, I think firstly, um, it was quite tight in the beginning. It was the game only really started to get away from Munster when Bongi Bonambi um, scored those two more tries. I think, um, but before then, it was really really tight game. In fact, and Munster actually were dominating position. They were getting line breaks on the outside against the Sharks. I, th- I thought they um, were very much in the contest until then. Obviously, the Sharks then went route one. They decided, let's turn to our scrum, let's turn to our set piece, turn to the line out, turn to the more. And they gave themselves a bit of a buffer from those two bongi tries. And then, obviously, from there, Munster under pressure. Um, they start throwing the ball around a bit more to try and get themselves back into the game. That created errors. And as soon as that started happening, you... When you create errors against the likes of Kerr and Bosch and Van Kock and Mapimpi and you give them line breaks, um, you're going to get punished. So I thought that was sort of the pattern of the game that emerged in, in this one. And I think that it was more sort of Munster's errors that let the um, Sharks and the pressure created by the Sharks pack um, that really led to the Sharks win. Yes. You mentioned uh, Makazolo Mapimpi and, and he's been under a bit of prayer. Unwarranted pressure, I would think. I think everyone kind of just figured that he um, he just wasn't going to kick on this season. But this game, I th- I thought he was exceptionally good, and that try that he set up for Hendrickson was was outstanding. He's he's looking good. Would would you still? Is it a no brainer that he starts for the Springboks? Yeah, it is still very much so. I mean, Russian. Jacques, I never want to just throw players out there. They don't lose um, faith quickly in players. So they'll continue to back him at 11, um, especially if he's now going to start picking up games and picking up momentum. And he, he really did. He was outstanding. In terms of his aerial contest, he was outstanding. His ball carries were very, very good. He obviously created a few line breaks. Led, one led to Hendrix's try. Another, he spotted a couple of forwards in front of him. He dashed through the gap. Um, so yeah, he's, he's really, really playing well at the moment. Yeah, which is which is great for the South African fans. Jared, um, the Sharks' defence, which ironically uh, under you'd expect to be a lot better under the the guys, the watchful guys of uh, um, Neil Powell. But where's it going wrong there? What, what's happening? 
yeah, I, I think a, a lot of the Sharks' struggles in defense, and we've spoken about defense a lot on uh, the podcast, is that uh, defense takes a while to settle in and to get right. And the way the Sharks have chopped and changed their team, it will take some time to settle in and come right. And yeah, I think this is uh, the first season that they've had Warren Whiteley running the, uh, running the defense as well. So yeah, I, I think that's a lot of it will take um, just some getting used to. And yeah, I, I think you guys are pretty spot on with uh, Makazole. I think since he's come back from Japan, he's also built a lot on his game. He pops up a lot more in the midfield. Um, he goes looking for a bit more work and he's just, he's not just that uh, finisher anymore. And yeah, the commentary that I got on this side, they were saying, no, he's been in a, a try scoring drought and he, he's losing his place with the box. And I thought it was a bit ridiculous after he scored, I think he scored twice against Harlequins in the Champions Cup. And that wasn't, it was really not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, not so long ago. Tyler, welcome. How are you? <laughs> I just had to fight so much technological issues to come here. <laughs> so I'm glad that I can be heard. Welcome, welcome, and thank you. And I can hear anyone, um, people <laughs> as well. So this is just, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to be here. Nice. Well, we're glad you're here. We're going to throw you straight in the deep end. <laughs> um, the Sharks' top performers. We've gone through a couple of points around the Sharks, but the top performers, Notche was was incredible. And yeah. it's I've been since he's gone to the Sharks, I really thought that he's elevated his game as a whole. And he was flirting with, or possibly I thought was in range with po- uh, another recall at one stage, even for a squad recall. But he's he's shooting the lights out between him and and who else were top performers for you um, in the Sharks win over Munster? Mm. Yeah, let me start with Skumbozo because I am very much in the Pepsi Butelezi camp and wanting him to, <clears throat> excuse me, to play as much as possible. I think he's generally been the best eight for the Sharks, but there is a strong Notcher camp as well, especially on Twitter. And yeah, they were definitely vindicated by his selection this weekend. Um, I think it's just the work rate that he had. And the one thing that the Sharks, I mean, look, I still think the Sharks have still a lot of problems to, as a team. And I think there's still a lot of things they need to fix to become an elite team. But the one thing that the Sharks did and did well was the pressure in the ruck. And Nocho was leading that charge most of the time. And he was just able to sort of, to use his um, work rate to tackle someone and then take up space when he is um, using the counter ruck as well. So, he was absolutely brilliant. He carried well. He tackled well. Did everything that you expect. And you know, he's been a valuable, like you know, reserve player for the Sharks for most of this um, season. Him and him and Butelezi alternating. But yeah, he showed his big match temperament there. And yeah, I think you don't, you can't really go wrong with either him or Butelezi. But you know, I think he does add something extra that maybe Chutuka and 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 Polisi has. But Talking about the other sharks that impressed me, you can just go to the other loose forwards. Um, see, I, I, I had that quote this week, um, if I'm not mistaken, saying that he's not been on form, which I thought was the craziest quote ever because he's been really good for the sharks and he's been, well, probably one of the best players. So I'm not sure what other level Colise has, which is quite scary, I think, for the rest of the world. But he had his typically. Yes, good I was game just going to say that's. Yeah, I was going to say that is flipping scary if he if he thinks he's not operating in a good space. 
Yeah, and I just don't get what he thinks he can improve more than what he's been doing right now. But you know what? It's good for us and good for rugby for the next few months. But yeah, he was good. He carried well. He was obvi- he's obviously probably the best counter-ruck in rugby at the moment. I, I think it's probably around him, maybe someone like Caelan Doris as well. And then Vincent Chutuka, I saw some, yeah, again, maybe shouldn't, I shouldn't base my analysis on you know the odd tweet that you see, but I saw someone saying that he's had a quiet season for the Sharks, which I was like, what have you been watching? But yeah, he, was, he did well. He also deputized at lock when um, the Sharks lost both um, Itzabeth and uh, Van Heerden. And he just had a really good game. He's, he's, he's the missing piece that the Sharks were needing in the last few years at, at blindside flank. So I think Sharks 1-8, to eight, they can all be very happy with their performances. 9-15, to 15, I think obviously they were great in defense, as I heard you guys saying now. And obviously some of the counterattacks were brilliant. But I don't think the problem started 1-8. to eight. They... The Sharks forwards have been really, really good. And they really took um, Munster to deep places in, in the game this weekend. You just saw that Munster were missing players like Ty Byrne. And I'm sure Edward Dogbo would have made a difference. Um, Roman Salanoa, their tight head, <laughs> had 20 minutes of scrumming against Oxen Chain. And he said, nah, that's enough for me for the day. So the Sharks, their big strength and the thing that could hopefully give them a run in the Champions Cup or a run in the URC as their, as their forwards. Yeah, Tala, I think you're spot on there. And uh, I think they need to dig into that a bit more. I think that's part of the issue with the Sharks is they want to move it out to the backs where the power's up front and win it up front first before going wide. i tell you something else which uh, many Sharks fans were happy to see is um, there was a gent sitting in the stands in a Sharks... Uh, sort of golfer and it was none other other than John Plumtree which (laughs) really really doesn't leave much the imagination considering um, there was talk of him joining the Sharks next season as the as their head coach Uh, Dylan what do you what do you make of that I think it would be I mean whatever rule we whatever role he sort of ends up taking whether it's as a head coach or as a consultant, which we've also which we've also been told is it might be a consultancy, whatever role he takes, I think the sharks could really really use his experience. Obviously, he's deepened the sharks' culture. He's deepened Durban. He's come through there. He's played there. He's been a coach there, um, very successful coach there. So um, I think the sharks could only benefit from having a guy like uh, John Plumtree back. Um, Obviously, I think he was also sitting next to Grant Bashford, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, um, to have yes. Plum himself back at the um, Shark Tank, they could only benefit from that because he, he knows what the culture is like there. And um, the players would obviously also, because of what he's achieved, the players would have a heck of a lot of respect for him. So I think it would, it would be a good idea. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think it's a great shot. Okay, from one great South African win to another, um, Stormers Sean, hosted Harlequins at Cape Town. Yo. Sorry. Sorry about that. Can I just come in with the Plumtree point quickly? I think the other thing is that Powell's always meant to be a director of rugby. So I think, you know, I don't know, maybe Powell doesn't necessarily want to do the day-to-day stuff. But yeah, like Dylan said, I guess they can work that out amongst themselves. And I think, look, Plum hasn't really had the best of times. Well, obviously, the New Zealand, he was the New Zealand um, assistant coach for the forwards, and that didn't go too well for him. And obviously, I don't think he can be fully, solely blamed for all of that. 
But just having that experience in the coaching staff will help a ton because I think what the Sharks are missing is that, yes, Powell's obviously a great coach and talented coach from sevens, but he hasn't done much in the 15s. And a lot of the assistant coaches, well, a lot of them have left now, but the ones that are remaining, you know, they don't necessarily have that much experience. So, like, I think Plum would help a lot with that. Yeah, 100%. I think, uh, I think it's a great shot. Moving from one great SA win to another, um, a storm was hosted Harlequins at Cape Town on Saturday. And a scoreline that I thought probably flattered Harlequins a bit, but the Storm was winning 32-28, and Quins did score at, at the death um, in, in a, basically a, a try that really didn't matter, the, uh, influence the result in any way. But Jared, I'm going to go straight to you because I know that you'd be uh, jumping all over this if someone else got to answer this question, but Dion Fury, cooking, 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 cooking. Do you want to have a little, a little oh, chat about him? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving that. Hey? Um, <laughs> Sean, we spoke about him when he was playing at Grenoble and at Lyon, and he was he was dominating then. And when when he signed yeah. for the Stormers, everyone was like, "What the fuck's this all about?" Like he's he's right at the tail end of his career. He's not going to make it as a hooker at the Stormers, and he's not going to be in the starting lineup. So we've just signed like the thirty five year old to come and play Carica. But man, oh man, he he's just dominating and. He, he just seems to save like these really big performances for the Champions Cup and the really big games. Like he, he consistently like plays great for the Stormers, but like his top-notch matches, he waits till like they really, really need it. And like it jumps out at me that when they played in the Marcel Michelin, that that was probably his best game since this game against Harlequins. And he just, he it just dominates. And, I can't mm. see him not being in the Springbok squad um, come the World Cup. Like, his ability to cover hooker, because I, I think we're going to go to the World Cup with two hookers again. We're going to go with Marks and Umbanambi, and we're going to have that one utility, like, as, as in Brits, where he can play hooker and he can play number eight. We've just got a reverse or in a loose forward that can play hooker too. And, yeah, I've... He he just keeps on knocking the door down. I mean, hell, to put a, put a performance like that in, and he absolutely dominates at Harlequins, who fielded two open side flankers to try and deal with him, and they still couldn't get the job done. I mean, Will Evans is the best uh, yeah. breakdown player consistently in the premiership because the Currys are injured or not playing the whole time. But consistently, he's the best breakdown operator in the premiership. And Jack Kenningham is his understudy and is was also pressing for England UT under Eddie Jones a, year, a season or two ago. So, yeah, just hugely impressive from him. And I love that try that he scored right, in, right at the beginning of the match. Still got the afterburners that can, yeah, makes it, that, that made him a legend <laughs> at the Stormers. So, yeah, I, I'm making myself sound like a Stormer supporter now, but uh, I'm I'm very much a Dion Free supporter. <laughs> a Dion Free fanboy. We we know. I, I had to I had to offload oh, that on sure. you. There was no way I was going to let you uh, not have your say, Dylan. From one player with afterburners to another, Damien Willemse. He had a great game um, at 15, but everyone's talking about one thing, and that was that finish. Absolutely sublime. Oh yes, yeah. They, it was just absolutely brilliant watching it from the sta- um, from the media center there. Um, it was 
Fantastic. I, I just I couldn't believe how he had produced that finish after, I mean, coming from firstly starting with that Ciabellos and Atla pass. I mean, the fact that he caught it and released it so quickly to get it to Willemsa and then Willemsa shrugging off a tackle yes. um, and then producing that acrobatic finish in the corner, um, narrowly avoiding the touchline, which is being debated <laughs> whether he did or didn't. Um, but uh, just to get no that ball it. down there, it, it, it's incredible. But what, what's really special about that for me is that um, you could see a couple of times in the first half, um, there were a couple of mistakes that Willemsa make, and you could kind of sense it that he was getting frustrated. He knocked the ball on, I think, a couple of times from aerials, and I think he got tackled back quite <clears throat> hard by one of the Harlequins loose forwards as well, and he knocked the ball on. So he, was, he looked like he was getting frustrated with himself, but for him to sort of ground himself um, and then just bounce back in the second half and produce the influential performance that he did in that second half, it just shows the level of player that he's become now, that he is that world-class, that even if you sort of try to shut him down and you have players marking him, he will still find a way to influence the game. Yeah, I think one of the big things for me, and I mentioned it last week, but if Ruanal plays, uh, everything changes. He's he he's not the flashy guy, although he does have a lot of it. But he's if there's ever an error or if there's some a ball that goes loose, he's always there first. So he he's just his rugby IQ and stuff is brilliant. But what I think Nell does, besides the fact that it more often than not moves um, Willemse. But what it also does is it takes the pressure off Willemse and off Lubbock with by having Nell there, and I think it's uh, I think Willemse I, I agree he did have a shaky one, but he pulled it together nicely, and that is about who he is as an individual and a player, which is which is so so good to see. The Stormers as a whole have been had had up and downs this whole season. Last year was very different; they were poor, and then they got better. Now they're having kind of iffy sort of games and moments here and there they might lose a game or they might fall off in a game but then they still win so it's it's looking good you know you know what they say if you play badly and win it's always it's always a good thing tyler harlequins i i was i was disappointed with what they brought we (laughs) we figured it was going to be the game of the weekend and um the quins quins didn't pitch up it was firstly it's a sponsor's dream it was dhl all over the show um Mm -hmm you know, living the life with, with Quinns and the Stormers. Um, and they, they did exceptionally well. But also it's two of the most exciting teams in terms of spreading it. Um, but Quinns just didn't bring it. Yeah, look, I mean, if I wanted to see a team try to play running rugby with like an enterprising fly half, I would have watched them Pumalanga Pumas, not the Harlequins on Saturday. Um, the- <laughs> yeah. So I was also at the stadium. I wasn't in Dylan's splashy media box. I was, I think, almost at the roof there, at the, at the second tier. And I, I had the, the weirdest experience with this game. So there was quite a bit of traffic coming into Cape Town. So I was basically 10 minutes late for the start to getting to my seat. So I missed already three tries um, that happened in the game. <laughs> and the then, whole game. The whole game was done by then. Pretty much. And then it was, what, 32 seven or 32 12 and i said to the group i was with hey let's go early it's five minutes left nothing's going to happen like the game's won so i missed another three tries that happened at the end as well so i don't think i can give too much analysis <laughs> on this particular game um <laughs> but you know i think Brilliant. i think harlequins they just couldn't handle the stormers physicality 
And that's pretty much the be all and end all. Um, Dion Fury obviously was a big factor in that. Like pretty much any time that the Stormers, the Storms are basically just holding on and just keeping their lines and not letting them get past the advantage line. And then when Dion Fury was around a ruck, it was game over. But I think there's a, a yeah, I, I think there's a big worry now for like the English Premiership. Like the teams aren't that good. Like the only, I mean, we'll talk about and preview sort of the other um, Champions Cup matches and the quarterfinals. But the only team that I think has a decent chance of winning the Champions Cup is Saracens. And that's only because they have that sort of like institutional knowledge and, you know, good players that hopefully can lift their level. But I mean, Tigers to an extent sort of has it, but I don't think they're as good as they were last season. And Harlequins have just been, you know, they had that flash in the pan in two year, or two seasons ago, but they just haven't played anywhere near that level since then. So it was a bit disappointing because I thought the one thing that Quins would be benefited from is the Stormers also wanting to sort of play that counter-attacking type of rugby. And the only time that the Harlequins, you know, had a bit of ascendancy in the game, they didn't take their points in that last few minutes stands in, um, near the Stormers' try line. They didn't take their points. They tried to get a try and the Stormers just shut them out. And I think that was pretty much game over from there. But I don't know. There's, there's probably not much I can add to this because I didn't actually watch them. And then just a quick thing on, <laughs> on Damon Willemsa. Probably is, yeah, probably one of his worst games in the last two seasons. And he still had the moment of the match, which I think um, tells you about the quality of the player. Yeah. Tala, uh, I must say, hey, I've told you how many times, like, just wait for the Harlequins come back. So, you missing those last three tries is is all on you, my friend. Like uh, we've spoken about it how many times? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I was like, these people don't even look like the Harlequins most of the time. I was just like, Ah, man, Marcus Smith looks like a a club fly half there playing for Durbanville. Like Bo Marla looks like a Brackenfell like rough prop who's just peroxided his hair. Like I was just like, okay, like there's there's nothing to watch here. I didn't even know Alex Dombrandt was playing on Saturday, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, it but does show me they, they do love a late show there in West London. Yo, Tyler, you, you, I'm showing my age here, but there was a time when, uh, when Unimol were, um, were associated with, with Quinns and they were called the Milneton Harlequins or something like that. They played in Quinns gear, so it was, was kind of like them, club rugby against the Stormers, eh? I'm sure they would do a better job than the Holocaust did on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm I'm being very harsh. I must say I'm being very harsh. No, I was just well, very they, disappointed we're expecting because them to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I paid some good South African rands for for watching that game, and I thought I'd be seeing sort of the best of the best. I thought I'd see at least a few more Marcus Smith moments. I thought you know Danny Kidd, I think tried and tried to get the, the six tempo tries. Going. That as well. So maybe you it's missed on six me. tries. You can't blame them. Yes, I think you need to look in the mirror. <laughs> so, so fair enough. So, fair yeah. enough. Staying, I apologize. The, the biggest takeaway from <laughs> the biggest takeaway from this is what I've gathered is that um, for DHL's sake, and we can uh, send the bill on then uh, to them for this one. But uh, the Stormers definitely delivered, but the Harlequins definitely did not, <laughs> and. Yeah, I, I think for Quinns, their, their biggest issue is that they didn't recruit the season at all. Like, Stefan Levis being injured the whole time is has not helped them. And the, I think the only player they really bought in was Ian Herbst. And the rest of the side, they've pretty much left the same. And they 
once they play all two down, like we've had, they've had green outs for the whole season. Like it doesn't help, and they struggle to recover. And yeah, the Stormers, the Stormers punished them. They they really really did. Yeah, Jared, staying with you, having a little bit of a look ahead. Stormers are playing Exeter at Sandy Park. Mm. How you think that's going to go? You think the Stormers have got a chance? I do. I, I I think this is a very different Exeter team than um, the one that won the double. What was it? Two seasons ago now. Um, yeah, I think Baxter's struggling with consistency. I think they were very lucky to knock over Montpellier. And the biggest problem for the Stormers is that a lot of those Exeter boys are leaving at the end of the season. And Sean, you'll know it's, it's also well documented that they've pretty much played the last 10 years together. Likes of Jack Noel and Luke Cowan Dickey and Sam Simmons, Joe Simmons. So all of that emotional... Will emotional will play into their favor, and I think it will be a tough one for for the Stormers. But yeah, I'm I'm tempted. Last season we we wrote off the uh, the Stormers the entire year, and this season I'm starting to think that a double could be on the cards for the Stormers, and it's that's a hell of a claim to make. But I think it's it's very 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 possible for them to do it. Wow, wow, well, wow. You heard it here first. A double. A Stormers double yeah. URC Champions Cup. Yeah. That would really upset a lot of people in Europe. Yeah. It really but would. I mean, Sean, think about it. Like, let's be honest. Uh, what, have the, what has always been the big things about winning the Champions Cup? You need a, a top quality tart five. The Stormers have that. They really do. You need a top quality tart head on the bench. They have that as well. And you need a backline that can fire when it needs to fire. And yeah, you, you've got that. And they've got cover in mul- multiple positions. I could, I could see them doing it in the Champions Cup. Leinster is their biggest uh, hurdle, in my opinion, in both competitions. But they show they can do it against Leinster, even if it was a draw. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> everyone knows. And, and I mean... We, I saw it on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but there was a question about whether um, the Stormers and Leinster could play each other in both finals, which it is. But Tyler, yes, sorry, mate, I interrupted you. Yeah, look, I mean, I kind of want to support at least part of Jared's prediction. Um, I do think Stormers have a good chance of beating Exeter. Um, you can note from the Champions Cup, I think, yeah, I, I didn't check the Challenge Cup, but from the Champions Cup, all eight home teams won. So... It seems like away team away wins are at a premium, and out of the 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 games happening this set, this weekend, I think the Storms have the best chance to be the away winner. So I would probably give them a good chance of winning the the quarterfinal against Exeter. The only problem though is I don't think the Storms have been as good away from home as they've been at home. Like mm. that's where they've had a few of the um, of their more dodgy results. They've obviously been perfect in Cape Town and well, basically the whole of South Africa. Like they've, they've played really well. They've had all their best performances there. I think also the weather and stuff fits in with, the, with, with, with how they want to play. But away from home, we saw with the Leinster game last week that you, you know, there is a bit of trouble once you get the kicking game going against them. So, yeah, I think that will probably come, yeah, come a bit of a scupper for them because if, I mean, unless the Bulls can once again do them a favor um, by knocking out Leinster in the URC, 
there's a good chance they'll need to play at least four, or they'll have to play four of their big matches away from home and in Europe if they want to win both competitions. But yeah, I think at least for Saturday's concerns, Exeter first up, Exeter, I mean, they won obviously at the end, but I think we talked about it, Sean, last week that this was the most hard to predict game because both teams are on not the best form and they pretty much played like it. They 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 played like they were sort of number eight and number nine in the 16 teams that, that went to the last 16. So I think Stormers should have a decent chance of, they should have more than a good chance of winning on Saturday. And then, yeah, anything can happen in a semifinal. Okay. And now... We're going to head on off two great wins and talk about the Bulls. What is the issue with the Bulls? Dylan, do you, do you want to take this? Like, what is going on? It's, what, 12, 11, 12 losses in a row. That's obviously excluding um, Varsity Cup where they're not doing well, but Loftus is not a fortress anymore. Um, what's happening there? Yeah, ten, I think it's now 10 losses in a row, all competitions not taking um, Varsity Cup into it. If we had to, it'll probably go up to 15 if we had to take up uh, Varsity Cup <laughs> uh, uh, into Sheesh. consideration. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, things are not going well, to say the least, in Pretoria. It's been very, very difficult. To, I think part of the problem, at least with the senior team, is that there's been a lot of insecurity in terms of positions and in terms of um, momentum. And it just, there just seems to be a lot of chopping and changing in terms of the combinations and where players are starting, where they're playing. And I think that causes a lot of insecurity within the team when you don't know exactly what your role is week to week. When Juan Cecilia Simulani is going from playing outside center to wing to fullback, when David Creel is doing the same, he's going from playing left wing, right wing, outside center, inside center, fullback, um, it might not, it, it's not the only thing to blame, of course, um, but that doesn't help. I think the loss of, we started to see the loss of Joe Mongalo. I think we've seen that this season as a defense coach. Um, I think that was a massive blow from last season. Um, I think their defense has been very, very soft this season. And ironically, defense is the cornerstone of what the Stormers do. Defense gives the Stormers the counterattacking opportunities that they need. And um, it, the Bulls are really, really lacking in that respect. They still have a good pack, a good solid pack, but something wrong has gone desperately wrong with the way that they're defending and the defensive structures. Um, it's often far too easy to get at least 20 to 25 points on them, and that also puts pressure on the attack to score points. Um, so I, I think there's obviously a lot of things that are going. I think also to add to this, I think the a lot of the veterans that they've, relied upon last season um, are a year older, a year later in their careers, and they're not quite having the impact that they had last season. Um, although I, I still think Mornestein's probably the best fly half still at Loftus Fastfold. Um, even though he's retiring at the end of the season, he's the most complete fly half that the Bulls have. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, those are just some of the things that are sort of going wrong. You also look at the fact that Jake White was away from the team for a bit due to his illness um, and his emergency operation. Um, and that obviously caused a little bit of disruption in terms of his sort of unity with the, his connection with the team. Um, so there's, there's just been a lot of things that have just gone wrong at the wrong time for the Bulls um, that have just completely thrown them off the season. Yeah. Tala, 
I know that uh, you took a little deep dive into this game. Some positives for for the Bulls fans and for the South African fans. Any any names that stood out for you? I mean, yeah, about two or three. Um, <laughs> so look, minutes, two I'm or three a... minutes, M- minutes, and <laughs> eh? not people. I think I think Ron Okia. I mean, I think people that listen to this podcast will know I'm a massive fan of his. I think he's just such a great, you know, lock that that does a lot of a lot of the dirty work and you know the flashy stuff as well, and just has such a, a high work rate. And he was just the lead of the pack for the Bulls. Like he had a few carries that went well. He he like he bumped Rory Arnold, which is no mean feat. The lineup battle was quite epic, actually. Um, given all the talent on show and, and with the jumpers and stuff. And, you know, the Bulls lineout, which is usually like, is basically the best lineout in the URC, like it was struggling against Toulouse. But that's also because Toulouse has about four or five jumpers of their own. And then Toulouse, the Toulouse line was also struggling. And that was mostly because of Ron Nokia. And he was just picking off um, Malvaka, especially in the second half as well. So he had a great all round game. And, I think a big priority for the Bulls is trying to find a good locking partner for him and someone that can be that, that more of an enforcer role because Nokia's, yeah, I don't want to say it, I don't want to say it like this, but Nokia has a lot of like the qualities that Madfield had and it's now finding that Bucky Sport in order to complement his, his, his skills and ability. Then the other positive was Aurich Lowe. Like just his work rate in that Matthias Lebel try was awesome because he basically outpaced everyone, including his blindside flank and Kane and Moody, in order to get to him. And he almost scored a certain try. And that just, I think, signifies what he, what he was doing in the performance. But I think most people that watch the Bulls week in, week out would know that those two would be near the top of the, of, of, of the, of the tree there. I mean, the Bulls did defend quite well in the first half. They didn't give to lose anything easy, at least in the first half. They... They, they did have a good line integrity. They didn't really let Toulouse have those big line breaks in the middle and like letting the, the big forwards have a bit of momentum. I think Toulouse was trying to play a bit too much rugby given, how, given the conditions. But in the second half, once Toulouse just kicked it up a gear, like, yeah, it, it, become, it became very basic. Like, I think there's a lot of defensive mistakes, especially for that um, LeBel try. Um, uh, um, Ambrose Papier, like he was... I think he was trying to, he got himself in just such a bad position with um, the pickup and go from Rancho Crow. And then he went to the floor and didn't tackle anyone. And now it's one less defender that the Bulls had in order to stop that A914. So there was just a few mistakes there. But I mean, I think the Bulls can uh, be happy about their defensive line out. They did really well with defending the rolling mall. Um, yeah, I, I think Dylan's right. I think he, he added something that I didn't think about with regards to Joey Mongalo leaving for the Sharks. You can see the difference there. Like, I don't know if the solution is maybe getting out Jake White or not. I don't think he deserves it at the moment. I think he's obviously had basically two great seasons and now this is the first bad one. But something needs to happen because I think there's just a... They, they, I think they almost mismanaged and almost overthought the season by trying to sort of go like balance the squad for two for two competitions. And what's happened in the end is I don't think the Bulls really know what their best combinations are, especially away from home when they don't have the advantage of Loftus to run on. But yeah, on this game, they had a decent 40 minutes. I think the scoreline was a lot favorable to them being 12-6 down only because they conceded seven penalties. 
um, in, in during the first half. But once Toulouse w- w- just turned up the quality a little bit, like, there was a big difference between the two teams. Yeah. And that win essentially condemned the Sharks to traveling to France to play Toulouse in, in the quarterfinals. Jared, do you think... You you reckon the Sharks, if I mean they've got to ramp it up like 20, 30, 40% in order to be competitive in in this game. But do you think they've got a chance? Yeah, I, I think they do have a chance. And it's just purely down to the quality that they do have in the squad. Um I think like like I said earlier with the with the pack is that they need to dig into their power in the pack and sort of throw that at uh, Toulouse and, and see what sticks. Um, I think they can muscle them in the front row quite easily. The Bulls showed that. And I think the Bulls were very unlucky with the, with some of the uh, calls at the scrum. I think they should have got quite a few penalties and, and didn't get rewarded for their dominance. Um, so, yeah, I think they can do that. Um, the Sharks have been quite wasteful with some of their opportunities. I mean, you just need to look at that horror show that uh Kerwin Bosch had where there was options on the left that you could hit any of the three players and they would score I could not believe and it. he went right I, I I tweeted out about it during the game and I, I was but he, I was he went actually, right with an over yeah I, I was I was actually impressed that he, he went right with an over the top little loopy yeah yeah I can't it, believe it mind-blowing mind-blowing so yeah I I, I think they certainly can <laughs> I, I think they can be to lose. I, I think can is the big word there because, yeah, you see once to lose uh, gets going and DuPont starts running the show and Intermac just sort of sits back and deals with whatever DuPont uh, delivers to him and creates for him, then they, they're almost impossible to stop. So, yeah, they have got some injuries um, to lose that play in the Sharks' favor, but they still have quality and depth. I mean, Reynard Ulster didn't play this game this weekend, which was also diabolical. I mean, they, they threw him out in the media, gets to say, no, it's personal against the Bulls, and he can't wait to get stuck into them, and then they don't even put him on the bench. So <laughs> I, th- I thought that was horrid. But uh, yeah, it, it's it, uh, one of the big things that I'm looking forward to this weekend is it's Sia Khaleesi versus Francois Croix, which is going to be monumental the two Salah mentioned Kalen Doris in the conversation as well but two guys that are absolutely brilliant at at the breakdown whether it's on defense or on attack going head to head and yeah I hope they I hope they clash a lot throughout the game because both of them are just they're immovable when they're over the ball and they just power through guys when they when they on on defense yeah, yeah. Okay, moving into Tala. Yeah, I think the other thing just to add is the Sharks will just have to be uncharacteristically good as a team, <laughs> which has not been something that they've been good at this season. And like, yeah, um, yeah. like Jared, uh, like Jared said earlier, like the, the the I think the Sharks have to just go to basics, like which is a bit tough to do with Toulouse because yes, they. I mean, I don't think. Uh, maybe I think the Sharks could have ascendancy up front. I don't think, yeah, like um, the, the the starting front row of the Sharks and Toulouse, I think there's probably very little to pick between them. But on the bench, the Sharks have a big advantage because Mkunu, 
um, Van Furen and Sadi are much better than Malvaka, um, Ainu and uh, Latu. No, sorry, not Latu. Um, I can't remember what the the the, the Titans' name is. But in any case, there's a big advantage there. But the Sharks have to now play up front and try to play sort of 19 rugby because the things that the Sharks are good at are almost the things that are the more typical South African like rugby things. Good scrum, an okay lineout, but a good rolling ball at least. And they're good with kicking, especially, well, it doesn't look like Hendrickson will play, but especially if Kern Bosch plays and his left foot is behaving. So they have to play that 10-man rugby type of game, hope for some rain in order to equalize things. Because once Toulouse gets their phases going and they have those less than three-second rucks and it's DuPont running mad and Tamak running mad, there's going to be no chance for the Sharks because their defense has just not been good enough um, at all um, throughout the season. Um, it, the defense is so bad that Lukanyo arm looks a little bit human, which I think says a lot about the defensive structures. So that's the big hope for the Sharks that they keep it at one, at basically at ten and playing ten man rugby. But the the danger for the Sharks though is Toulouse isn't really a small pack. Obviously, we know how big Emmanuel Miafu is and Rory Arnold and those sort of players. So it'll be hard to just do this like fist physical battle because Toulouse will also get a lot out of it as well. And then the second thing is, is Eben Etzebeth fit? Because he did, he did come off at half, half time for the Sharks. Sorry, it's Richie Arnold, not Rory Arnold. <laughs> Got them confused Twins. there. Both look the same. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. We, we're actually in, that's possibly the game of the weekend, I think. Uh, and that's obviously if the Sharks if the Sharks picked up. Um, Dylan, do you want to add something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, firstly, uh, Richie Arnold's the one that just got slated. Um, oh, no, Rory Arnold's the one that got slated by Eddie Jones. As, uh, what did Eddie Jones say? Um, <laughs> Rory's working in a factory in Japan, and that's why we don't pick him for the Wallabies. He's not playing rugby. <laughs> so it's just quite funny. Um, but, yeah, on the Sharks <laughs> to lose game, um, I think that one thing that could, again, those two injuries um, – it's Beth and Hendricks, so those could scupper the Sharks quite badly if neither is fit. Um, it's a bit didn't seem too bad. It seemed like he was walking fine after the game, but Hendricks obviously going off with his arm in a sling didn't look that great. And if Hendricks is not playing, that has a serious impact on the Sharks' kicking game. Williams is electric at the breakdown, good at getting the ball out and everything, but his kicking game is often inconsistent. Um, and then that obviously also impacts the Sharks in the second half when Williams has to be. Um, if he doesn't manage to see out the full 80, because then you're looking at a veteran in Cameron Wright or a very green behind the ears, Bradley Davids, who I think there's a very good player in Bradley Davids, but obviously very um, inexperienced. So um, I think those those are two sort of factors that um, could have a serious impact on how the Sharks are going to play this weekend. In in fairness, though, um, Jaden didn't have a great kicking game either. So... It's, hopefully he comes back and he's kicking a little bit better. I think he probably missed about maybe three, four meters on each kick, so maybe a, a touch more. But yeah, looking forward to seeing what they what they are able to put out in the park and then what they're able to produce. On to another great win for a South African side, and this time from Johannesburg with the Lions beating Russing 92, and I might add a relatively strong Russing 92 side. They were beaten 51-28 with the Lions playing with 14 men. Absolutely insane. 
I didn't watch the game. I'm unfortunately still waiting to to get hold of it. I've got got it waiting for me. Um, as soon as electricity returns more constantly, but Tyler, do you do you want to dive into that red card, uh, the um, Chituka red card? It uh, caused a lot of uh, a lot of upset people to take to Twitter. <laughs> not me typing on the group that I haven't actually watched the game in full yet. So you can skip me for this. <laughs> ah, I'm going to, so, so on, on that hospital ball, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bounce between the, the, the write up for this podcast and the group and I keep missing and I see I've got letters here. So my bad, Jared, I'm going to send you a flat ball. I'm just going to skip straight past Tyler after the dummy. Um, yeah, I'll, Jared, I'm going off the, the field guy. injured. Yeah, well, I'm I'm also gonna call uh, <laughs> an Sorry, audible mate. here because I also haven't seen the fucking game. Uh, but but what I w- Dylan, <laughs> there we go. Dylan, you're up. Um, yeah. Would you believe it? I've also <laughs> haven't had a chance to look. At, I was in the press conference. I was in the um, Stormers post-match press conferences when um, the game was going on, and then obviously straight afterwards it was the West. Pro- it was Mr. Province against Crick Boys. I was trying to keep an eye on it, obviously. Okay, um, but. <laughs> Dylan has a good excuse, at least, not the rest of us. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) Okay, Sean, I'll I'll get back to you. The Lions won. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give us a bit of content uh, content on this one. I I think the red card was fair without even seeing it. Um, The referee made a decision, and uh, us as South Africans need to be accountable for what's happened on the rugby pitch and just say, okay, this time it was not the referee's fault. Um, like I said, I still haven't seen the uh, incident, but uh, big ups to the to the Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Rian. I'm sure he's buzzing about it, and uh, he will definitely be able to tell us what oh, happened. Man. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I think uh, Racine have a lot of excuses for this match. Um, you can talk about the fact of um, the conditions and playing in Johannesburg is no easy feat. They played without Finn Russell. Yawn. Um, so yeah, it's all that boring stuff, but they're also going through a rebuild and are looking, I think, I think they're looking more ahead to next season when Stuart Lancaster takes over, but that should not take away from what a massive result it is for the Lions. They played against a European giant that Rusty Nancy too have played, I think it's three Champions Cup finals. They are no Mickey Mouse team and for the Lions to come up with a result like that, it is something that should they should really, really be proud of. And it shows that despite all the crap that happens in Johannesburg all the time, the players are still delivering on the pitch. And that's something as a fan you can actually get behind. Yeah, I just wanted to just disagree with Jared and his very measured approach and take on the red card. I think it was a horrible red card. Rugby is going absolutely soft. <laughs> we can't even decide what the referees are doing anymore. It's gone crazy. It's gone woke. What other um, tagline should I use for this? It's going absolutely mad. I remember the days when we just used to headbutt each other on the rugby field and nothing would happen. Okay, so I'm done with all of that. But <laughs> I think the... The Glasgow versus Lions game has the potential to go for over 100 points. Like both of those teams are just attacking. Well, Glasgow especially is attacking so well at the moment and the Lions are not scared to throw the ball around. So that quarterfinal is absolutely tasty. I will definitely watch that one. Yeah. So I tell you, we, uh, it's an absolute, it's absolute chit show here. 
on the Rugby Bits podcast. We were just all over the show. It's, it's about time that we have two opposing uh, opinions because we always generally seem to agree with each other. But Dylan, you are the swing vote, mate. Yeah, I'm going to go right in the middle and say it was probably a yellow card. And that will be... <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. I'm gonna say. It was probably a penalty and a yellow card. There we go. Go straight through the middle. But also, um, just a quick word about... Um, I think Emmanuel Shatuka, I mean, obviously he got... A, he, got set off but he's been one of the line's better performance over the past sort of month or so been really key to their turnaround as a as is Franco Horn I think um he both Franca and Ruan Fenter were um seem to be at least from what I've read and from what I've seen um were immense in sort of picking up the load when um Emmanuel went off um Ruan Fenter has been very very special over the past few weeks um it, this is a 20-year-old who also, I mean, just as a shout out, a 20-year-old who's just lost his father, I mean, a few weeks ago, and he's putting in monstrous performances every single week for the life, for a Lions team that doesn't seem to be having the best time off the field. Um, so the kid really, really seems to have something special about him. So um, I just really hope he keeps developing over the next um, sort of season or so. Maybe there's a springbok in there as well. Nice. That'd be good. I love... Uh... I love producing, uh, producing Springboks, especially when they come out of, uh, out of the lines and underperforming sides. Okay, so we're going to have a quick look at the quarterfinal matchups this weekend. So the Challenge Cup and the Champions Cup playing their quarterfinals this weekend. Uh, the Challenge Cup, we start off with Scarlets versus Clement on Friday, followed by Toulon versus Lyon. Now, Toulon are looking, are looking pretty good there, but obviously it's a French derby. Bennett and Cardiff, and then it finishes off with Glasgow Warriors versus the Lions, which is obviously the one we're mostly interested in. Ironically, the Warriors are probably the strongest side, them and Toulon, in, in, the, in, the, last, uh, in the last eight sides. Um, so yeah, here's hoping that uh, the Lions can do it uh, in Glasgow. Um, I think they're going to have their work cut out, but if any side can do it, they can. Um, and to, on to the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup. Uh, Leinster versus Leicester Tigers from uh, Dublin on Friday night. Going to be a cracking game. Gary Ringrose and Hugo Keenan fit again for Leinster. That uh, looks like it's going to be one-way traffic. Um, really difficult to look past Leinster when they're not at home, especially. Uh, well, it's difficult to bet against Leinster, but when they're at home, they're just unbelievable. Um, then Toulouse hosting the Sharks. Exeter hosting the Stormers, and we'll finish off with La Rochelle versus Saracen. So we're in for a great, uh, a great couple of games um, on the cards this weekend. But our final shout-outs in wrapping up and closing up the podcast. Dylan, anything you want to add? Yeah, firstly, I think hopefully Leicester can put in another solid performance like they did um, and at least give um, Leinster a bit of a run for their money in Dublin. It's going to be a tough one, but with Jasper Visa in the form that he's in and Andre Pollard with um, with the ball on the string, hopefully those two can have two more games. It's really, really good to see Andre Pollard back in form after a difficult time that he had in Montpellier and then obviously picking up his injury right when he started off at at Leicester Tigers. so it's good, really, really good to um, see him back in form and playing really, really well. But he's still going to be a very important player to the Springboks and how far they go in the World Cup. So hopefully another perf- good performance coming from him this weekend. Jared? Yeah, um, I, I can't believe we didn't mention it earlier, but uh, just a shout out to Akia Sneiman. Great to see him back on uh, a Springbok pitch again, or South African pitch, should I say. Um, I thought he was fantastic against the Sharks. Um, I think he was 
big part of why the Sharks didn't get any headway at the in the Moors um, in the first half. And when he went off, it sort of all went to shit for Munster. But yeah, uh, shout out to him. I, I was also going to mention uh, yeah, Jasper Visser and uh, Andre Pollard. They pretty much uh, sent Lens, uh, Leicester through to the next round. I think they scored all the points uh, for the Tigers. And yeah, I thought they could probably do it again against Leinster. I, um, I want to throw my weight behind Tigers, but yeah, it's never easy going to Dublin. Um, and then, yeah, Sean, uh, I, I think you missed it with the Challenge Cup, but I'm sure Leon are um, the Challenge Cup holders and they're playing against Toulon uh, this weekend. Which, yes, they uh, are. Yep. So they'll th- be quite cool that they <laughs> they qualified for the Champions Cup, got knocked out of that, and they went to defend uh, their title again. But uh, just an interesting little tidbit there. But overall, it was a great weekend of rugby, and it's uh, nice that we get another big one straight afterwards. Yeah, but playing at the mile is 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 quite hectic. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. Tyler, your weekend shoutouts? Yeah, I'm going to actually... I think the first thing is, did you see that um, Damien Pinot's... Um, well, the two tries that he scored on Saturday for Clement, like, <laughs> this guy is absolutely crazy. Like, the one that he, the one that he chased that, unfortunately, the... The the I'm not sure who was it from from Bristol, but the fullback was trying to shepherd the ball out, and then Pernod just snuck in to score yeah, the try. And then on the other side of that, geez, what the hell happened to Burnham Barrett when he was trying to score there against the Chiefs? <laughs> he just ran out of the dead ball line as well. That was so sad. Crazy man, crazy. And Jared, then, I was yeah. gonna st- I was gonna take your one. No, go. For oh, it. sorry, Tala. Sorry, mate. Yeah. You carry on, but Jared, Jared. Okay, I'll leave that for you, Sean. But I'm going to very quickly say that with regards to the results for, 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 for this week, my predictions, I'd go Clement and Leon winning away. I think Leon's going to defend their, 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 their championship and go to the semifinals at the very least. So Clement, Leon, Benetton, and Glasgow winning their games. And then the Champions Cup, Leinster, Toulouse, Stormers, winning away from home and La Rochelle. I think La Rochelle didn't have the best performance obviously this weekend. They had to score a try in the death, but they're going to come back to form now in the quarterfinal against Saracens. I think that will get their, their big players up. Um, yeah, I'll leave you to talk about the the most exciting part of that La Rochelle cluster match though. Jared. Yeah. No, no, no. I was going to steal it. Yeah, go for it. Steal it, Sean. You can, you can chat <laughs> this one up. I know you like talking about the cherry and white. No, no, no. You, <laughs> you go. I've got, I've got, uh, yeah. Listen, they haven't been in great form, but I tell you, if there's one thing that Freddie Clark try was freaking outstanding. Having a big lumpy four lock out on the wing, scoring and diving and planting the ball down better than Damien Willemser is something that every, every single rugby fan should watch. Unbelievable. I, I like that you threw an unbelievable in there as well. <laughs> it, it really was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. My weekend shout out goes to, so Jasper Viss is one of them. Uh, there are very few, very, very special and talented individuals that play 40 minutes of rugby and uh, or come off the bench and play 40 minutes of rugby or a little bit more and earn man of the match. And Jasper Viss is one of them and <coughs> Sia Khaleesi is the other. 
Um, unbelievable performance and he, his try scored was crazy. But my shout out of the weekend goes to the women books. The Springbok women um, have been on tour. They played last week against Canada um, and got beaten. And uh, this week they played against Spain and they won 35-20 in Madrid. So that's a great, uh, it's a great result for them. They've moved up the world rankings to 12. And uh, I'm just super happy to see the, the women's side touring and, and just playing more and doing more professional things on the rugby field and, and doing tours and all that sort of jazz. So, so that's my, uh, that's my shout out. And that is going to bring the, uh, oh, Jared, you beauts. I'm definitely going to let you take that and then you can close off the podcast, but, uh, yeah, Jared, you can finish things up. Yeah. I, 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 we almost forgot about it, but uh, a shout out to Brock Harris who came off the bench for the Stormers against Harlequins at Lucid prop played, I think it was a good 30 minutes or 20 minutes. And right afterwards, changed his jersey, put on a Western Province jersey and came off the bench at tight head prop for the Curry Cup side. So, yeah, I, I, what is he now? I think he's about 62. It's fucking incredible that he's able to do that at a professional <laughs> level. Um, he is making a mockery of um, tight head and loose head um, professional rugby. and. It is just insane what he's done. He's a Western Province legend. He's a Stormers legend. He's a Dragons legend. And I think he is a front row Union Hall of Famer coming pretty soon when he eventually decides to retire. Someone in the crowd when um, Brock Harris won, I think one of the scrum penalties near the end, someone in the crowd shouted, Joe Mahler, he's 38 and he's trashing you. So yeah, that I think sums up the Brock Harris <laughs> impact there. Brilliant. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Dylan, mate, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Absolute pleasure. It was good fun. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Tyler, Jared, gents, look forward to the banter during the week and uh, we'll definitely catch up uh, on WhatsApp and hopefully watch some great rugby this weekend. And uh, that's a wrap from the Rugby Bits pod and we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>